Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you are someone that doesn't have a disability and when you become someone that has a disability and the way society and everything change, you know. From day one, you sit in the chair. So many things you, you took for granted just disappear. Kia ora, we're your hosts, Julie and Sarade. We travelled around Aotearoa with our soundy Joey, meeting immigrant Fano, listening to stories and discovering what is said or not said between different generations. These stories warmed our hearts and broke our hearts. And over this series, we invite you two to listen in on conversations with my immigrant parents. In this episode, we hear from Nadmia Carvalho and her daughter, Juliana. They are from Brazil and now live in Tamaki Makoto. Nadmia has five kids in total. The Carvalho family are the first family we've had on this podcast where the parents came after their kids. Nadmir's son Alex came here in 2006, then three of her daughters moved here including Juliana and she finally joined them in 2014. Nadmir was 55 when she immigrated here. My daughter Juliana is my fourth kid. It's easy, easy piece for her to make friends and to keep them. Funny, all is saying something inappropriate as well, but uh, a lovely kid and uh, she's kind of a rhino. <laughs> you cannot stop her. My mom is Nadmea Carvalho. My mom is um, a very brave woman. After 30 years of marriage, she broke up, you know, and that requires a lot of, a lot of courage. And she's always trying new things, so she decided to move to New Zealand when she was already 55. So, yeah, she's crazy or she's very brave. Ju, I made a mistake. I said you are my fourth kid and you are my third kid. <laughs> Sorry about that. Are we unburying secrets in the family? That's a Juliana question. Of course not, Julia. Just joking. The party person in the house was always you. Do you remember I tell you, well, you are kind of insistent, you know? When you want something, you are kind of resilient. And you used to come to me and say, Mom, I have a party Friday. Can I go? And I tell you, I don't know yet. I need to talk to your father. Fifteen minutes later, you come. Mom, can I go? Ju, I don't know yet. Give me some time, half an hour. Mommy, can I go? I just had this thing that I didn't want to miss out anything, you know? Yeah, Still but... nowadays, it's just like, I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss out any opportunity, any party. And I remember when I got sick, there was, um, Rodrigo was going to get married. So we have this big party, his marriage, yeah. you know, the wedding. And I remember my suffering because I couldn't attend to the to the party. To the party. Yeah. After that, I was thinking how to to do because Juliana was always organizing competitions, playing football, going to parties. How I can 
bring back some of this to her because, and for our luck in that time, we are living in a condominium with a big, big, big house for parties. The biggest one was your birthday when you turned 21? 21, yeah. Man. I think it was 200 people. 200 people. Yeah. All friends. was amazing. And when the, when the part was over, it was morning. Yeah, I remember. And I couldn't walk anymore. Welcome to the club. So to give a bit of context, in 2001, when Juliana was 19, she suddenly fell ill with transverse myelitis caused by lupus and she lost the use of her legs and arms. She later recovered the use of her arms but has been using a wheelchair ever since. In this next section, Juliana and Nadmir reflect on Juliana coming to terms with finding a new sense of independence through a memory of Juliana wanting to go to a party about a couple of years after her illness. Some warning that part of this next section, within the next five minutes, refers to self-harm and suicide. One night, you went to a party. I said, Joe, your father cannot take you, so I'm not going to take you. You should not go to this party. And you went, when I went to sleep, you went out with a friend. In the morning. She cannot walk, six, but she's a runner. 6 a.m., someone knocks the door. And when I open, Juliana, what are you doing outside? You were coming back from the party. I was so pissed off. I was so pissed I ran you to your bed and said, now you jump. Because if you can escape from home and go to a party, you can go to your bed by yourself. And you like a, a warm, I don't care, you jump to the bed. <laughs> and then I help you to get dressed to sleep. Can you believe that? You did. I just think that I realized that, okay, like, mommy's not going to be here forever. And I, I wanted my independence back. And everything changed and ended up having these three clots in my leg. And then I was just like, why? That was when I remember, I was just like, I'm so tired of this. And it was four years since the injury, since, the, since I got sick. And then I was just like, okay, I'm giving up. I'm done with this. I just want to switch off the light. And I started thinking ways of how can I kill myself in a very effective way. And I've done some research. And then I remember that there was no way 100% sure and then I thought about taking meds, medication. And then if something goes wrong, then the outcome will be that I will be in a worse condition. And then what was bringing, like bringing so much pain was the effect of my physical condition. And then I didn't have a gun. So I just realized, okay, there's no way to do this work. So I have to make things get better. And then I realized that to make things get better, I needed to be independent. And that's when I put this medium, medium term goal to go to the Sarakub Shack and to learn how to live independently in a wheelchair. And I think that was when my life changed again. Because then I went there, there was like so many people young like me in wheelchairs. And, you know, you would exchange, oh, I'm doing this. Oh, if you're doing this, so maybe I can do that as well. 
oh, I'm working, oh, I'm studying, oh, I have a boyfriend, I, you know, and it's just open up this new reality that, you know, life was possible. And I've learned how to, how to dress myself in a chair, how to transfer, how to become independent. And I remember because you went with me the oh, first, first month. Time I went, yes. So I spent three months the first time that I went there. I stayed 10 days. You stayed for a month. And I remember they say, okay, mommy, now it's time for you to go and she will stay. And I remember that was really hard for you. I, I totally agree. I am too much mom. But sometimes if I'm not there, I don't think you survive. That's what I'm saying with the, a mother's love. Yeah. But I did the same to your siblings. Yeah, when they I know. Need. They, whenever they need, you were always there. Always there. You, you always there for all of your kids. I'm just the only one that need a little bit more time. What changed before and after the situation you had walking and stopped walk didn't change you change the situation for you. You were the same vibrant person, the same person. You had sometimes, like you said, oh, I want to kill myself. But you were trying to find a solution for you. And you end up realizing the solution were to be independent, was to be independent. I tried don't be too much, mom. But what can I do, huh? to away eh? mm. some of that some of where Juliana's head was at when everything was happening and when she had to try and get used to her new reality mm-hmm. I think it might be quite hard for people who have always lived with some form mm. of disability to hear when someone goes from being able-bodied to being disabled obviously not trying to justify that that's an okay thought journey to have yes it's just someone coping with what's happening to them at the time yeah. in the best way they can. It's a form of grief as well that you go yeah. through, I guess. Yeah. I also really like what Nadmia says about being too much mum. Yeah, we love this line <laughs> when they said that. This next section explores Nadmia's divorce. I think growing up I had this... Um, I was so sure that our family was perfect like 100% sure our family is perfect because all the siblings get along. Mom and dad, they love, you know, love each other so much. And I remember, I think it was in the fourth grade and, you know, divorce is something that was really coming up. And I just felt so lucky that, you know, wow, my family is perfect. And I think maybe it was when you guys really started, you know, the fights started and things were really going downhill. I think to break or to destroy this this illusion that I had the perfect family hit me really hard. My family has a big trouble. They have a, too much mother. I always knew that. I always want a big, big family because I knew if I had only one kid, poor kid, 
too much, mom. I am the the red chicken with big wings, you know. And I know I always wanted to be a mom. And when I met your father, one of the things I told him, I only get married with a man who wants a big family. And he said yes. And he was quite happy when I I got pregnant. I never ever hear from him like um, oh another kid, come on. No. Well he keeps we, going. Eh? We have three. We have three. Don't you think it's a good number? And I said to him, Nope, I want more. If you don't, run. But run now. And he didn't. So we had uh, Luciana. And Vivi, the last one, I didn't expect at all. That was Monday's morning. No one at home so good. Everyone at school. Monday's morning were our time. And I got pregnant. Okay. But we both embrace and never, ever any regrets about. But things change between couples, you know. When I found out that I was the person who made my marriage happy, then things start to... I start to see different. After the separation, I had two years of really depression time. Grief. I didn't... A yeah. Grief, yeah. Because it was the dream of my life to get a big family. And I did. It's a ticket. I have a good, beautiful, big family. And you were so young, like 16 when you guys met. And yeah. I really admire you for your courage of, you know, ending a relationship, a 30-year-long relationship. We know the pain, you know, that it is to break well, up. You, I think you saw the pain I had. But um, in that time, it was more than half of my life. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. With Andrew, my partner here, I'm with him all my life. It's so funny because it's not true. It's I know I met him in 2009, and I came to visit Alex for three months. And I told you in that time, I told to you and your uh, you need to organize yourself because I'm going to move into New Zealand. And uh, what did you say? You were crazy. Yes, a little bit, but I want to move into New Zealand. My last month here, I met Andrew. Mm-hmm. And we spent the month together. And it was really, really nice. And I came back to Brazil. And you always complain that, Mom, you are not here. But you couldn't com- uh, understand. I just couldn't picture myself not living in Brazil. I never like I never thought about living in Brazil. When I came back to Brazil, Andrew found me by internet, and we stayed together more two or three months. And I said, "Long distance. I want someone. How do you call impersonal? Like physically? Yeah, I want by your a, side. No, by no, not by internet. And then I I deleted everything of him from my computer." And I met another guy who came to live with me. Do you remember Taborda? Yeah, Taborda, yeah. But the thing is, 
I lost contact with Andrew and I came back here in 2014. And then I came back to Brazil, then I came back to here, then I went to Brazil, then I came back here. You used to say, you and Alex, Mommy, go to Tinder. I said, I don't want. I don't want. I want to, to launch my career. I want to work. I want to, to do my stuff. I don't want a relationship. It takes lots of time. I don't want. But that night I was so, oh, gosh, nothing is doing okay. I'll go to Tinder. I was 15 minutes on Tinder, 15 minutes, and I saw his picture. And I saw... Andrew picture. I think it's Andrew, but I'm not sure because he, with, with this hat, I'm not sure, but I think it is. And then I, I pressed like and got a match and I run downstairs to your bedroom. Oh, yeah, I remember. Juliana, what happened? I don't know what, what happened. What is this? What, what is, is this? this? It's a match. It's a match. <laughs> And then, mom, now you can talk to him. Okay. So I, I, I said, hi. And he asked, are you in New Zealand? Yes, I'm in Auckland. Oh, I'm not in Auckland. Can I see you tomorrow morning? Yes. I gave him the address and he came. And he came and stayed. Till now. Till now. Until now. And he texts me. I can't understand. He used another. <laughs> it's not English. It's a kiwi. It sounds a kiwi block. Such a good story. So good. Modern day rom com. They broke up. She went away. Star crossed lovers. <laughs> I also love um, that Nadmir says Andrew doesn't speak English. Because he's a kiwi bloke. Yeah. Facts. <laughs> Should I talk about what happened this week? No. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't know. I know it will be appropriate anyway. Mm. Well, dating is not happening, right? COVID crisis, immune suppressed. So if things were bad before COVID, now it's just like hopeless. Anyway, I don't know if I told you what happened. So, you know, this um, leg infection that I have to do the IV antibiotics I think it was Thursday I had to to do the IV antibiotic and I received a picture from a guy that I met long ago. He's an American guy. You remember him? Oh, yeah. No, we're still in touch, you know, like we're still in touch anyway. So he sent me a dick pic. Oh, gosh. And, okay, but, oh, nice, nice. It's a good morning, it's a good morning picture. And I've been taking photos of my leg, you know, to keep on track of if the infection is reducing or not. So I went to the emergency and I was showing the doctor and I absolutely forgot about that picture. So I was just showing her my leg, you know, like, oh, I have this photo here, this photo here, this photo. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Oh my God, a dick pic. I'm so sorry. And then she was like all red. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean... And then I was just like, okay, well, now at least I cannot walk, but I'm not dead, right? So, yeah, pretty much my dating life now is just like virtual. But it's uh, a matter of you accept to have someone. What's your choice? What's your choice don't have anyone? You always said that. 
Yeah, I like to be single. So in the moment you decide, oh, maybe I can ever go to be with someone, will happen. There is no reason for not happen. The universe is quite like, it's always listening. You put the intention out there, a little bit of effort and things come true. But I don't know because, you know, there's so many people that, brilliant people, really interesting people, nice people that are single. And it's not that they don't want to be in a relationship. But I think a lot of people, they are in relationships for convenience. It's not that they, you know, like, oh, I love this person. This is the love of my life. A lot of people, they are together just don't be alone. And, like, I wouldn't be with someone just to don't be alone. And until now, I haven't found anyone that would embrace, you know, the journey, because it's not easy. It's not vital, you know. To have someone, it's not vital. I totally vital. agree. Vital. And uh, you are the brilliant person, single. I just hear you saying, now... I well, can now open. I can plan, you yeah, know. Now, now I, I can, can plan. plan. Not that the plans will happen, you know, but at least now I can start planning yeah. because the last eight, eight, years, eight years, yeah, it was just fighting immigration. Mm-hmm. So there was no time, no energy, no to anything else. Yeah, I know. Survival mode. Juliana worked in disability advocacy in Brazil, and she does so here as well. She's also an author, and she's been very vocal about her struggles with immigration over the last eight years. Juliana has sought and received a lot of publicity around how our current immigration system is discriminatory towards people with disabilities. So New Zealand's current immigration policy states that migrants who are likely to cost the health system more than $41,000 will not be granted residency. While the health requirements don't explicitly ban those with disabilities from attaining permanent residence, in effect, they do act as a blanket ban on people with disabilities. So Juliana was actually facing deportation up to this year and something that Nadmir said was that if Juliana did get deported, she would probably give up her residency and follow her back to Brazil, which we thought was really moving. Thankfully, just before the recording of this episode, Juliana received news that her residency was approved. And although she was really thrilled to get an exemption for her residency, she acknowledges that she was an exception to the rule and she's still fighting to change this discriminatory legislation. I think for all migrants, immigration is a nightmare. It's a very few story, like easy, easy stories, you know. A lot of people struggle so much. I remember the first time that I, I came across the, the immigration policy that have this list of conditions that are likely to impose high cost to the health system. Oh my God, I was, my blood was boiling. I, I know crystal clear the difference when you are someone that doesn't have a disability and when you become someone that has a disability and the way society and everything change. From day one, you sit in the chair, so many things you, you took for granted just disappear. So I won't accept a different treatment because now I'm disabled. You know, I'm not second-class human being because I'm disabled. My, my first reaction was, okay, I'm going to put like a sign 
I'm going to write rubbish and I'm going to do a protest in front of an immigration office because this is discrimination, blunt discrimination. And then my, my boss said to me, no, 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 don't do that. Wait until you get your residency and then, you know, otherwise you, you will be seen as a troublemaker. And I was, I was unsure, you know, like, doesn't feel right. Anyway, I thought that I had a chance because I had enough points to apply for the skilled migrant category and I tick all the boxes. So I thought that I had a chance. But the process itself is so dehumanizing. Uh, you know, I received the first letter and they will say like, oh, you're paraplegic, so we are likely to de deny your residency, your application, comment on that. If you want to dispute that are you paraplegic, it's so stupid. And then I end up getting sick because of stress. And I was so angry with myself because I let all this situation, you know, I don't know, I just had this expectation that I would come here, learn how to speak English, get a job, apply, get my residency, you know, pass the medical waiver. And I was so ready for that. I was just like, I'm going to play the game to win. But the whole process was just like really, really killing myself and killing my joy, you know. And you have to prove that you can contribute and you have to prove that you're worth it to be here. And nothing was enough. Nothing. Because everything comes down to cost. Look how crazy is that. They will assess your potential contribution and they will assess your likely cost. So we're just talking about crystal ball. Because who are you to know what's going to happen? You might come to this country very healthy and have a stroke and then you're going to cost too much. And that's life. You can predict. I used to, to think about there is lots of people having a visible disability, but you cannot see immediately the internal disabilities. When someone is deeply racist or sexist, for me it's a kind of a disability as well. But you cannot see when you look to the person because it's not visible. But it's there. But then again, Which is the point of give residency to someone that is racist and have good health and bring inside the home, inside the country, someone who is going to bring damage to the society, you know? So I think the, the criteria for who can stay or not needs to be reviewed. But it's not fair as well to bring people for work and do the hard work and then it's over the hard work, send back to the country where they came from. I think there is lots of things that needs to be reviewed about uh, how to be human beings. And we face this particular situation because we choose to move into New Zealand and we want to stay here, and all of us are building our lives here. I left behind 50 years, 51 years, living in another country for a start again here. As Juliana, she left her career there, established for starting again. 
because we believe this society is better balanced than the one we have in Brazil. And we are seeing this now in the news every day, the way the pandemic was treated here and the way it's treated in Brazil. They didn't put in place anything for anyone. It's a... You don't give a shit. Yeah. It's about money, economy. No, it's, it's, it's even worse than that. We have such a dumb president right now. You know, like no, the he's, mini, mini Trump. He's the mini Trump. As we know, this comparison to Trump is very accurate because Brazil's handling and Bolsonaro's handling of COVID has been very similar to Trump's in that they have really just decided that people can fend for themselves. I think when we're talking about the this whole 1%, only 1% or 2% of people will die, like that's huge for us to dismiss the value of human life like that just because someone mm. is over 80 or... Mm because they're sick or they've been sick and now they're immunocompromised. Like, it's just such... A cruel way to look at things. Totally. When I came to visit my son in New Zealand, I didn't think about I would be an immigrant. I didn't think about that. I just thought, oh, it's so lovely to be here. I want to move in. If I was in Brazil until now, it would be so different in Brazil. I was already an old woman, and I was around 50s. And when I came here, I felt like I was reborn as a woman. I wasn't an old woman here. I was an attractive woman, and I did a lot of parties. Kind of, I had my teenage here. If I were in Brazil, Right now, I'm probably dead. To be immunocompromised in, in the middle of a pandemic, it's a, it's a death sentence. I, I think this immigration process was the hardest thing I ever fought. It was harder than become paraplegic. Oh, yeah. No, I, I have no doubt. It was harder because to fight against the system, it is... It's not is, a person. Is it's that, a no, system. That, is that, exactly. There's to no fight place. the system is the hardest thing ever. Yeah. It's not a fight for one. It almost killed me. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not for it's one. It's not for one. Where I go, I make my home. Around myself. Yeah, I feel New Zealand like home because I'm putting my roots here, you know. It's different it is my home. I have my family here. Only Mariana is in Brazil. It's a huge, huge gap. But she's happy there, so it's all good. And I have a partner who is Kiwi. And I don't have yet friends here. Friendship here is different from Brazil. It's a matter of time, and I will develop relationships friendly with Kiwis. Because it's easy to be friends of people from overseas. We have the same feeling we are immigrants. It's different to be accepted by Kiwis. I don't know, I have a very different view. I think we all we are all migrants, you know, like I think oh Brazil is my country is such a bullshit because 
like we human beings, we've been here for 200,000 years and we've just always been moving around. And if you look for our ancestors, like they came from Italy, from Germany, from Portugal, mm-hmm. and then, you know, they traveled to Brazil and they settled there. You know, just look around. People say, oh, this is my country. Well, if we're in you, well, your ancestor, ancestors migrated. And took from someone else. The original owners of the land. Don't forget that this young generation don't think about from where came our grand grand grand. You forget about the ancestors, you know. I will be never a Kiwi because there is no time for me to be a Kiwi. I think it's quite hard. I came too old. Great points that Nadmia leaves us with. As migrants here, they are not the original owners of this land and they were also ancestrally, they were migrants in Brazil as well. And I love that she is here, she is in Aotearoa, she is remembering that this land belongs to Tangata Whenua. I always appreciate when older migrants can acknowledge that. of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, or any migrants, really. And then also this point that she'll never be a Kiwi because there's no time for her to be a Kiwi, mm. in quotation marks, because she was too old. Yeah. And I think we forget that migrants have vastly different experiences Mm. depending on when they migrated, what age they were, what gender they are, if they are able-bodied or not. All of that impacts hugely on our experience as immigrants here in Aotearoa. And then we wanted to just finish by saying thank you so much to Nadmia and Juliana for hosting us for two days, cooking us chicken hearts, doing a big Brazilian barbecue for us, (laughs) and sharing their stories. You can check out photos and videos of all our families on Facebook at Where Are You From Really, Instagram at Combos With My, and on RNZ's website. Conversations With My Immigrant Parents was created, produced, and directed by Julie Zhu and Saray De Silva. Location recording by Joey Siasoko. Studio recording by Jill Eva Craig at The Secret Beehive and sound edited and mixed by Emmy Pagoni. Our cover image is illustrated by Ngamutani Jones at Miss Memo and designed by Sonia Milford. A huge thanks also to Kay Elmers and Tim Burnell from RNZ Commissioning. Conversations with My Immigrant Parents was made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. He Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.